pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. One to win for Pakistan. Stokes comes in. Bowls short. It's pulled for four. And listen to that roar. And the fireworks exploding off the pavilion roof to our left. As Pakistan absolutely cane England. It's been an absolute thrashing. Welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel a.k.a. Menas, and that was Jonathan Agnew with a great call of England being bundled out of the Champions Trophy last night. What a great, uh, what a fillet for my soul that was. Coming into that game, I was downhearted. I was worn down by the the constant praise of an English team, but that's just brought it all back to earth. So I feel a lot better. And joining me to revel in their pain, I've got podcaster Paul Dennett, who has been making regular appearances on, on Indian TV, trying to get his Bollywood career off the ground. So Paul, how are you and how's your singing voice? <laughs> Good manners. Great to be back. I can't answer that. It's well, terrible. It's terrible. be a baritone. Um, <laughs> also, I've got a bone to pick with you because you were on talk sport in England yesterday and you said that you were certain England would win the game and one of your friends was very unhappy with England's performance over Australia. Yeah, that uh, was you. Yeah, I know. I wasn't ha- I wasn't unhappy about England beating us. I was unhappy that every English commentator was carrying on like they'd won the World Cup when all they'd done is won one group game in a in a Champions Trophy tournament. Well, given that they'll probably never invite me back after I got the prediction so emphatically wrong. But if they do, I will make sure I clarify that for them. Now, the other panellist making his debut this week is, and I'm just taking your introduction from your Twitter biography. It says that he writes cricket for Fox Sports. So that's one tick for coming on this podcast and lives life by the three S's, Sport, Simpsons and Seinfeld. Three great S's. Welcome to the show, Joe Barton. How are you, Joe? I'm very well. And uh, yes, my Twitter bio hasn't been updated for a few months, but that's all accurate. Well, excellent. I'm a big Seinfeld fan. I'm going to go and see him down under. Are you seeing him in a couple of months? I, I can't afford those tickets, mate. Not on, not on my Fox salary. <laughs> <laughs> now, thanks for um, stepping in and filling in for James McSmith, a.k.a. Macca. Apparently, he had to cancel last minute to get his hair done like Adam Zampa's. His wife said, really like the way Adam Zampa looks with that haircut. I want you to go and get the same highlights. So he's at the hairdresser now getting his blonde highlights put in. That's pretty standard for Macca, isn't it? He, he needs a perm. That's um, it's the, the the headband, everything, the lot. He's he's definitely going for the Zampa. He's got Macca written all over it. <laughs> well, we've got a big show today. We're going to wrap up the Champions Trophy. We're going to go through the cricket headlines from the week, then we're going to wrap it all up with Can't Let It Go and Stat Chat, an old segment is coming back. But let's start with the Australian performance in the Champions Trophy. Uh, the, the, the weather conspired to make this tournament a virtual non-event for Australia. Washouts against New Zealand and Bangladesh and a, a rain-affected loss to England basically meant it wasn't a bit of a non-starter for Australia. But I want to kick things off with one question for both of you. If I could give you a choice now of trading Darren Lehman for Trevor Bayliss as Australian coach, would you take it? I, I probably would, but uh, mainly because Lehman has said a few times that he's not got too many years left. Probably only got the, the two more years in him as the as the chief Australian coach before he wants to step down and spend more time with his families. Whereas Trevor Bayliss, um, having taken on the England job, obviously has long ambitions and be a bit more stability. But and do you think he's a better coach than Lehman? That's the question. That's a different question, though, isn't it? That's uh, well. He's he's obviously a very good coach and he's he's done wonders for for the England team. But um, really, he hasn't hasn't won them a tournament here. He's he got 
got them across the line in the Ashes uh, last time, which was a great achievement, but that is on home soil, and um, I'd like to see them do a little bit more uh, maybe overseas, which is where the, the, the real big bucks are around as a coach. So you'd stick with Buff at the moment, or you'd switch? Give me until after the Ashes, and uh, I'll take the winner of the Ashes. What about you, Paul? Would you swap Lehman for the English coach, Trevor Bayliss? Yeah, I would. Um, and I think that I think Lehman's done a really good job. And I think when he was appointed, it was a really good appointment. Um, the side was a bit fractured after the Mickey Arthur reign, and they needed someone to come in. And Australian teams have always had a very good team spirit. He, he reinstilled that for sure. I suppose I just think that, and it's hard from afar because you, you can never be sure, but it seems as though Bayliss is probably a little bit better on the tactical side of things, maybe a little bit more shrewd. He wasn't as good a player, which I also like. Sometimes these naturally talented players don't give as much thought to some of the the cerebral side of the game as they could. And I just think that some of our tactics, um, you know, uh, we saw New Zealand bowling to Ben Stokes, deliberately bowling wide to try to curtail his scoring rate. Bangladesh did the same thing. Australia pounded in as fast as they could straight at his body. And I just wonder, did we even know that New Zealand had used that tactic? Did we know? Did we not care? I just sometimes think we could possibly get someone um, a little bit on the, on the shrewder side. But I, I think Wolf has done a good job. Is, is there a suggestion maybe that um, Darren's a bit stuck in his ways when it comes tactically? He sees what has worked for Australia in, in the past and you know, maybe Stokes has worked out some of our bowlers over the past few years? Probably. I think, I'm sure he's, he, he does a, a degree of the tactical stuff well, but I think that Australian teams seem to have always had a philosophy of if we can get our own game right and if we can get on a roll then that's what we've got to do and we'll play our best cricket that way. And I think that's largely true and Australia often are the best team and that's why they often win. But I do think allied with that these days there needs to be what can we do to get a bit of an edge by being cunning and being shrewd and that's where maybe Bayless has, has got that edge. Yeah, it's hard because they're both good coaches but seeing Bayless do so well for England and but the thing about Bayless is he's worked intimately with so many of the current Australian team. You know, Bayless has coached New South Wales for many years, so he knows their strengths and weaknesses. So I think it really does help England when they play Australia. I think he really has a little bit of an advantage. It's also a pity that they let him go. When when he was appointed as England coach, why didn't Cricket Australia say, listen... Give him um, Howard's job. Yeah, well, just give him, pay him to, pay him to do nothing for a couple of years just to, to keep him in our setup. He might come back, mate. He might come back. <laughs> well, if my trade gets off I'm the very ground. passionate about a man I've never met. <laughs> so Australia against England made nine for 277, but they had a massive collapse in the middle order that cost Australia a winning score. We went from five for 239 to nine for 254. We effectively lost five for 15. Adele Rashid and Mark Wood took four wickets each. Now, Paul, I wanted to throw to you this one because before the tournament began... You made a point that you thought Australia were underprepared going into the tournament. And that performance, in the middle order especially, it really looked like our batsmen were underprepared. The tail-enders, the all-rounders, you know, they hadn't batted in the tournament. You could see that. So just talk us through why you think Australia were underprepared. Well, I just remembered the previous two Champions Trophies in England, 2004 and 2013, and that Australia had kind of been knocked out in short order without too much preparation. Then I remembered even the 99 World Cup where we ended up winning we started terribly and it took us a while to really hit our straps and I just thought maybe there is something in that and I looked at the numbers and it seems as though you can read too much into these things but six days of cricket seems to be a kind of magic number and the stats are quite significant when Australia has played uh, one day internationals inside those first six days of cricket in in English conditions they've played prior to this tournament 21 games for 17 losses so a loss rate of 81 percent and when they've played after 
They've had six days of cricket in England. They've played 22 games for two losses, so a loss rate of 9%. So the difference is absolutely you know, considerable. And I know in this day and age they say that um, cricket is much better at uh, adapting straight away, and I'm sure that they are, and it's very difficult to get extra preparation time. And, and they did have rain um, ruining that, some of their preparation, but I think a few more warm-up games would have been ideal. Well, it certainly would have been because we really looked like we hardly got going in that game against England. Finch made 68, Smith 56, Maxwell 20, Enriquez 17. They all got starts. One of them needed to get a century. Now, there was lots of criticism about Enriquez's selection in the side and the fact that he was batting at number four for Australia ahead of Maxwell and Head in that lineup, and then you had Chris Lynn not even making the starting 11. Uh, Darren Berry on Melbourne Radio was saying that he thinks it was a captain's pick like Nick Manson and Jackson Bird over the summer were captain's picks. Uh, Bardo, what do you think about Enrique's selection in the Australian side? Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I'd go as far as Darren Berry and say it's a captain's pick. I know, obviously, there's the, the New South Wales connection with, with Steve Smith, and I believe that he and Moses are uh, reasonably tight, so um, perhaps he did have some influence, as I'm sure the captain always does. Oh, sorry to just butt in, but one thing I wanted to say, I noticed on Twitter a lot of people were saying Enriquez is not a top-order batsman. That's actually not true. For New South Wales, he is a top-order batsman. He bats three or four in a lot of um, white ball cricket, so it's not completely out of place. Which is very true, he, and he had a fantastic record in the uh, in the Matador Cup last year. I think he was the second top-run scorer. Uh, behind Cameron White, so he definitely uh, had the runs on the board in that sense, even though it was, what, eight eight or nine months ago now. Um, I would not have batted him um, in that position for Australia, and certainly in the first two games, uh, it seemed like it was an error when he came in and didn't look terribly comfortable. He probably looked his best uh, as it happened against England. I think he hit, a, hit a four or five boundaries and certainly looked uh, among the runs before he got out to a very soft shot, but... Um, I think we missed a trick against Bangladesh, against Bangladesh. That's when you want to get Chris Lynn in there, see if, if he can play in those conditions, play in this format. Obviously, his record at uh, both domestic and potentially international, he's only played one ODI, but his record's very poor in, in the format. But he, the form that he's in, you just wanted to give him a chance and see if he could get going. And if he could get going, he could have been a difference maker, batting at four, potentially opening, you know, coming later in the order. But um, I would have batted Travis Head at four, uh, maybe slotted Linen at five and seeing what you could do with that, that sort of an order, but uh, it's all moot now. Well, I think a lot of people agree with you. This is what Brett Jeeves said from uh, your website, foxsports.com.au. Yes, Jeevesy. <laughs> Jeevesy. And he's a hard hitter. Now, this is what he wrote. There is no logical answer as to why Enriquez would be selected to take ownership of one of the most important batting positions in the one-day list. And Cricket Professor backed this up by saying... Statistically speaking, Moses Enriquez is the worst batsman in Australian one-day cricket history. I think it's all a bit unfair, don't you think, Paul? We saw him bat very well during the Big Bash. He is a maturing cricketer. My problem is that I thought for this tournament, it seemed to come out of nowhere. Enriquez wasn't our number four last summer, and all of a sudden, he's chucked in there. When you make a decision that, I agree, seems to have been out of the blue and it doesn't come off, you've got to wear this sort of criticism. Um, and so it didn't come off. Uh, I can see why they did it. I think that I, I'm a big Lynn fan, but I suppose Henriquez does offer the, um, the bowling option. And I think that's part of the reason they picked him. It was then peculiar in the game against England when the quicks weren't doing the job. He bowled one over. It was a pretty good over. It, he did concede one boundary, but I thought he was 
definitely worthy of giving being given a few more overs to. So the fact they then didn't give him a bowl seemed a little bit perplexing to me. Graham Smith was not a fan of that uh, that captaincy decision either. In commentary, jumped straight on at the second he bowled two balls. If this, I think his quote was along the lines of, "Even if he gets a wicket, this is the wrong decision by Steve Smith." So I think uh, pretty much everyone was out there saying we want spin on Rekers is not the right option to bring in and he only bowled the one over so perhaps proof uh, proof was there now uh, there was an incident involving Enriquez and Steve Smith when Enriquez was dismissed uh, trying to loft the ball over mid on Smith, Steve Smith threw his head back at the non-strikers end and was quite demonstrative in his disappointment. And then Michael Vaughan on five BBC Five Live Sport, I heard him talking about Steve Smith's body language. And he was criticising Smith because he thinks that as a captain, you need to be appear to be more cool under pressure and not let the emotions get hold of you and Vaughan was pointing out that dismissal where Smith reacted and also in the field when the fast bowler is starting to get caned, uh, Smith seemed to sort of lose his rag a bit and Vaughan was criticising him and saying as the skipper you really need to hold it together so when the team looks towards you you know like Steve War, you look like the Iceman. Do you, do you guys sort of concur with Vaughan there? I- he says a lot of trash but that might be <laughs> Uh, on I, the money, I quite like uh, Michael Vaughan's commentary actually, but um, I think he definitely has a point here. And you look when when things are going wrong for Australia, the camera always pans to Steve Smith, and he's often got a scowl on his face, or he's got the double teapot out, uh, hands on both hips, and it's not a good look. Even even for um, for a viewer to look at, it doesn't look great. But you've got to judge Smith on his on his actual captaincy, and that's that's more than body language. I think the players are looking to him tactically and you know his batting as well looking at him as an inspirational force I also agree with Vaughan I think that it contrasts a little bit with what England are doing I know they got knocked out last night but overall their one day side has come from nowhere to be arguably the best in the world and one of the things they've said is that we're going to back players to to express themselves and if someone plays a reverse sweep and gets out that's okay um, and I think that the way that he, that Smith reacted when Henrik's got out Henrik has uh, got out he probably would have been better off hiding that. Um, in terms of his pronunciation of his name, um, I just found a funny tweet that um, is, I think, slightly worthy of um, mentioning. That someone sent him a tweet the other day saying, "Mate, can you clear up something uh, for the journalists and commentators worldwide? How do you pronounce your name? Is it Henriquez or Enriques?" To which the player replied, "The first example, I think. I'm not sure anymore." So <laughs> I say his name differently every single time. I heard. I saw on Twitter someone saying that because he's Portuguese, you pronounce it. In the Portuguese way, rather than the which French which way. is which one's that one? O- Enriquez. Okay. Rather than Enrique. Well, that's taking half of both French. of those. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, look, I'm not too fast either way. <laughs> just uh, call I wonder him, what just call emotional reaction Smith will have to his. Anyway, so back to Smithy though. There, uh, one thing I think about him is we've gotten used to it as Australian fans because he's been like that since he took over as skipper. And it was interesting to see Vaughan, who hasn't seen him as much, uh, you know, look at that from a different prism. And I think that is definitely something Smith has to work on. Just keep his emotions in check for the good of the team. I mean, I'm sure there's blow-ups, you know, in the dressing room from past captains, but they kind of hold it in on the field. So I think that's... Um... Ricky Ponting used to uh, used to wear his heart on his sleeve and show his emotions and... I don't remember him being quite as heavily criticised for that. It might be more of a British thing, the, the stiff upper lip. Smith's captaincy. even more than Punter was, especially. It's, it's, it just seems like an emotional roller coaster with Smith sometimes, especially when they're under pressure. Now, there was a moment in the England batting innings where they were three for 35. They looked in real trouble, and Owen Morgan gloved one down the leg side, and Matthew Wade dropped the catch. Now, this is another 
costly mistake from Maddie Wade. Should this podcast start a bring back Pete Neville campaign? Because Neville scored 625 runs at 57 with three centuries. He was one of the leading run scorers in first-class cricket last summer. Is it time for Neville to come back? He's got, he's got the bulk of those runs after he was dropped as well, of course. So he definitely proved his point to the selectors. Should he come back? I think it's... I think it's a moot point because Wade will not be dropped. Uh, he's certainly in the in the inner circle. But what is it? Is it is what he brings to the dressing room? Because it's certainly not what he brings behind the stumps, and he's not even scoring many runs. So I don't, I don't get it. He he was improved in in India. Um, his keeping. Uh, I, I don't know. But he's that, still not as good as Neville. True. Ne- I mean, Neville's arguably the best gloveman in the country. Um, and you would say based on that, he should be in the team. But you you, you look at it. And Wade's, Wade's in the inner sanctum. He's, he's in the leadership group. He's not going anywhere. But Paul, four for 35. Wade takes that catch. Australia's really on top then. Oh, absolutely. But I, I agree with the, that I think Wade has improved. I'm a big fan of Neville. Um, but to be honest, in a one-day game, I'd still be wanting someone whose who's major contribution is going to be at the bat. I'd still be picking someone like Ben Dunk or someone out of left field who can really go out there and score a century. Um, can't be too critical of Wade failing because I think that the first ball he faced in this game was probably the first ball he faced in the entire tour. So... That's um, <laughs> a pretty hard start. Now, after the game, Ben Stokes had scored a match-winning century for England. Adam Collins asked Steve Smith if he thought Ben Stokes was the best player in the world at the moment. Now, my first reaction was to laugh, throw something at the television. I, look, what do you guys think? I don't think he's the best batsman in the world, but he may be the best all-rounder. He's definitely the best all-rounder, even even after last night's innings where he uh, had the go slow and put the brakes on and got 30-odd off 60-odd. Um, and yeah, looked very much out of sorts. Didn't hit a boundary. Incredible innings, but um, he's undeniably the best batsman, in, uh, best all rounder in the world, in my opinion. I know Shakib Al Hassan has probably. I think he's got the statistical, you know, confirmation. But to me, there's no more dangerous batsman coming in in in, in his position than Ben Stokes, and he's got the fiery attitude. He's a very good fielder. Uh, he brings an all round all round package. Um, I wouldn't say he's the best player in the world because. I think you've got to be the best I think at least. Like eight or ten better yeah. batsmen than him. I mean, I'd, I'd take Steve Smith. I'd take Virat Kohli ahead of him if I was choosing. Davidius, Hashim Amla. Azarani. If you're choosing a team, yeah. But you'd a team be- of eleven Ben Stokes would beat probably eleven other eleven of any other players in the world. Because of his all-round talent, yeah, I and mean, it's a, it's a hard, different, it's a difficult one. I was just thinking that as you were saying, mm. who would I pick, Ben Stokes or say Virat Kohli? And there's no doubt Kohli is a better batsman, but uh, Stokes' bowling is. It's not at the very top draw level, but it's not far. It's not far below it. It's an interesting. I, I find it hard to judge, but he's he's certainly up there, and he, I think he works very hard on his game as well. That, that I've heard interviews how he often stays later at training, and he's, he's the, looks at the laptop after the game. To, well, Steve Smith had some advice for him apparently during the IPL, saying that he was he's, he was losing his backside during the the IPL, and he needed to get his backside into the shot. Well, it sort of came back to haunt Smithy there, didn't it? Yeah, it's one of the great traditions of cricket that seems seemingly the sport that people are so adversarial. As soon as you get a chance off the field to sort of, oh, I've noticed something, that, that people happily give away um, trade secrets like that. I, I think it's nice. It's, um, it's- well, I, I think what it comes down to is, as a fan, you love good cricket. You know, you love people playing good, high-quality cricket. So if you're sharing tips and maybe helping someone get better, you're, you're helping the whole game. Yeah, absolutely. In this case, not helping the Aussies. Can I just say one, one thing about the Aussies' performance? Yeah. And people... It's a podcast. Say what you like. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to come across as a biased parochial Aussie. Um, and men, as you'll probably be pleased that I'm going to come pro-Australia here because I'm... Yeah. A, um, 
But people who say that the rain didn't affect Australia are wrong. Who say, well, you know, Australia were probably going to lose to New Zealand and we're probably going to beat Bangladesh, so it averaged out okay. The fact of the matter is if the rain hadn't occurred and we had lost to New Zealand but had beaten Bangladesh... Australia, New Zealand and Bangladesh would have all finished on two points. It would have come down to net run rate. And because that's the way I am on the way here, I did the maths, assuming what it would have been. And basing best guess as to how the games would have transpired, New Zealand and Bangladesh would have had a net run rate of about negative 0.5. Australia's would have been about positive 0.1. So had there been no rain, Australia almost certainly would have gone through to the semifinals. Not disputing the fact that, you know, they lost fair and square. That's the way it goes. But the rain really did um, stuff us up. Yeah, and I don't want to be too sort of come across like sour grapes, but in the end, this is not a very important tournament. It's a great tournament. It's great, especially for the subcontinental nations like Pakistan and Bangladesh to get on the world stage and perform really well. But for Australia, this is just a small one-day tournament in between the World Cup. Now, it's all very well and good for you to say, oh, England have the best one-day team at the moment, Paul, but in two years when the World Cup comes around, that's all that matters. Now, you're touching on my Let It Go segment later in the show. I have some strong words to say, and I'm going to agree with you. Oh, good. Barter, do you disagree? No, no. I mean, clearly Australia works towards the, the four-year cycle. That's when this is the period when we blood a lot of our, uh, a lot of our players and we have the intention. Simon Hughes and Simon Mann and Michael Vaughan and Phil Duffnell carrying on about this English one-day side. You even, Paul, on Buddy Talk Sport. I'm like, just give it a break. See you in two years. <laughs> the World Cup. That's when it matters. Now, a couple of things just generally. I said at the beginning of the tournament, I hope Bangladesh would perform well. I thought it was a spirited win for them over New Zealand. Great to see them in the semifinals for world cricket. Mamadullah and Shakib Al-Hassan, they are really exciting one-day cricketers. Mate, they've got, they've got a fantastic uh, young team, a uh, very exciting team, and we've been saying it for probably the past five, ten years. Wait until they really start to, to get to motor and... You'll, you'll see a world force in, in, in Bangladesh can, that looks like it's starting to come off. It's a delight as well because it took, a, it took longer than expected. I think there was a point, um, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 years ago where people were thinking, why aren't Bangladesh getting better? And finally it's happened and it's kind of that transition that Sri Lanka made where they were easy beats, easy beats, and then suddenly they won the World Cup. Um, Bangladesh are probably not quite at that level yet, but we've got India versus Bangladesh tonight, Australian time in the semi-final. I'm tipping an Indian win, as, as as everyone is. But a Bangladesh win wouldn't surprise me. Bangladesh beat India 2-1 in a one-day series um, a couple of years ago I in want Bangladesh. I the trophy. Mm. There's, there's, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. They've, and they've also got the most exciting fast bowler to come out of Asia in you know decades, really, in, in Fizzer. Fizz. He, looks, um, he looks fantastic. He's, what, he's 21, 22, something along those lines. Very exciting fast bowler, and that's that's something we really like to see. Now, uh, a little bit more schadenfreude for me. South Africa have choked again in a major ICC tournament. They lost to Pakistan. <coughs> it ended their champion's trophy, and it seems like there's a little bit of tension in the dressing room between A.B. de Villiers as captain and Faf Duplessis. And there's a bit of backstory. Faf was given the test test captaincy ahead of A.B. de Villiers when he was injured and now A.B. de Villiers has come back as one day skipper and I just question the unity in that dressing room. Now but Menas, my question to you is have you any evidence for this? I've read this in the notes and I thought this is interesting but is this one that you've just um, you've, you've just deduced? No, no I or... heard Neil Manthorpe talking about okay. this oh, right. who is well connected to the South so, okay. What, so what, what did he say? <laughs> exactly that, that okay. he thinks there's some tension in that decision. A.B. de Villiers wanted the test captaincy, right, okay. it was taken from him 
and uh, his old mate, now old mate Faf, has it. Yeah, and there seems to be a bit of tension in I, the dressing room. I thought they were uh, were best of buds going back to school days and all that sort of thing. This is this is all very surprising to me. Well, nothing like some test captaincy or a woman to divide old buddies. <laughs> so this is just a, ta- a final quote from the Champions Trophy from A.B. de Villiers about South Africa's performance. We do come up short for some reason in tournaments like this, and it is pretty sad. I can't explain to you exactly what happens. Nothing to do with the energy or the intensity or the belief in the team. I felt we had a a great chance today, and we just unraveled. In their defence... The way that Pakistan bowled against England, England last night, I, I haven't seen much better bowling than that in a long time. Mm. They did something quite similar to South Africa. And South Africa um, were a little bit unlucky as well because the rain came when maybe they still had a chance to force a result. They got 240-odd, I think. The, the, the Pakistan, um, <laughs> as you know, it's an amazing uh, thing that Pakistan has suddenly become this world-beating side. But Hassan Ali um, made his um, sort of... Uh, impact on the tournament in, in that game, bowling Wayne Parnell with an absolute rip snorter, having got Dumini out the ball before. Um, they may have just been beaten by Pakistan playing well and no one gave them credit for it. We'd like to, well, that's one possibility, or they're choked, either way. <laughs> now, listeners, we're going to be back in a moment with the week in cricket headlines with Andrew Mensel. And before we do that, I'm going to play one of my life highlights when Macker and I were at the ground for this wonderful moment in World Cup cricket history and ties in with what we've just been talking about. Three balls remaining, Kuzner on strike. There it is. They go, this will be our joy. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. That was, of course, the 1999 World Cup semi-final, Australia v South Africa. Magic moment for Australian cricket for me, for Macca. I remember running on the field there towards the pack. Great memories. Do you remember that one, Paul? Absolutely. Um, my dad had gone to bed and I had to sort of wake him up and get him out of bed when the, the collapse occurred. And then I was screeching with delight and I was then shushed by my dad for waking up the rest of the family. So I had a slightly less lower key celebration than you did actually running out onto the field. I'm very impressed. <laughs> Pretty good. Now let's get into the week of headlines. Now the, the wage dispute between Cricket Australia and the Australian Cricketers Association continues. The developments this week have been that I think Lisa Stalaker on this show and Adam Gilchrist on Fox Sports both insinuated that the parties are trying to come to the table. They're almost ready to negotiate, but they're not quite there yet. Are you guys worried that with the June 30 deadline looming that this is not going to get resolved and we're going to have a a strike? By June 30, I think there's a very real chance that it won't get resolved um, just because they, they, from all you can hear, they're still so far apart. Um, The fact that they haven't yet come into a room and started to thrash it out, and June 30 is not far away. It's two two and a half weeks away. That gives me grave concerns that um, that the, by July 1, they still won't have signed it at this point, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you could be right. I think everyone thinks it'll be fixed before it does irreparable damage to the sport, but you just never know. Um, there's a tour of Bangladesh looming in... Uh, August, maybe they'll use this as an excuse not to go to that because they might be afraid of getting beaten. <laughs> I think I think that's part of it. That no, nobody in Australian cricket wants to go on that tour for various reasons. Security threat, absolutely, very real, very real reason not to go. But I think Australia would be 
potentially in a lot of trouble there. Spinning conditions, not obviously not uh, not what Australia is generally chasing. And uh, Bangladesh, as we've discussed, a rising power. The only good thing would be is that we'd still have the benefit of the extra preparation and the tour to India on our backs that if we waited another year, then we might be even, in even more strife to go. I think just generally with the, with the MOU, I'm... Uh, I think they're very much in danger of losing the um, the public interest because both sides are just sending out deliberately misleading information. Um, they're massaging the figures to, to suit whatever agenda they're pushing. I think the public has started to see through that. They understand it now. Who do you support, Bardo? Mate, I support whoever gets them on. The, well, I think generally generally, I'd be in, on, in, in line with the players because they're the ones who are out on the field doing the business, but... I haven't gone through every single figure. I don't know if everything they're sending out is um, is above board. I mean, Cricket Australia did this video last week going through pie charts and graphs about if there was a 20% revenue structure and how much of that is needed. Both sides are throwing the propaganda out there. Yeah, I, and I, you, so go, go no, I was going to say, um, I think it's, yeah, that, that sort of information, those videos, and it's coming from both sides. I think it's deliberately trying to confuse the public and I think it's got to a point where that's worked. The public doesn't know which way to look at the moment, and they're t- they're switching off, and they're 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 losing interest in firstly the the battle, and basically it's got to a point. Certainly with me, and I assume with a lot of the public, where you're just going, you two get into a room, fix it before the ashes, ideally before any any of the um the upcoming tours. I mean, there's a tour of uh, an A tour of South Africa, yeah, there's a proposed tour of um, Bangladesh, and a one day tour of India. You really want to get it sorted out before all of them, but above all else, have it done long before the ashes because that's 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 the biggest thing. We want that ashes. earn back it's more home, than anything. It's a home ashes. It's the biggest thing on the cricket agenda for Australia every every four years. So that's yeah, what we need. Agree. And I re- you make a really good point about the facts are hard to hard to find. If you just watched that cricket Australia video and were uncritical, you would say, "Oh, that makes a good point." But I'm sure that. If you watched an, uh, a video done by the Cricket Associ- Cricketers Association, you'd come away thinking, oh, that's a good point as well. Without some independent umpire actually laying out what the truth is to me, I'm sort of aggressively neutral on this. I really don't know who is in the right and who is in the wrong. I did think it was bizarre that Cricket Australia released the video when they did just before a, a crucial game in the in the, um, the Champions Trophy. They, they surely could have waited a little bit before releasing that if they had to release it at all. But I agree with everything you said, Joe. All right, next headline from the week of cricket. The Southern Stars, which is the Australian's, Australian women's cricket team, officially changed their name from the Southern Stars to the Australian women's cricket team. I think this is a significant change. I heard Jim Maxwell saying he thought the whole thing was a bit of nonsense. What do you guys think? I don't think it's the biggest change in the world, but I think it's a good change. And I think it's a good change for two reasons. One... Southern Stars had never cut through. You walk down the street and say, which sporting team is the Southern Stars? No one knew. But two, I think that the Australian national team in whatever sport has the sort of the dignity and gravitas of to not need um, a sort of a contrived na- nickname. Now, something like the Wallabies has been around for 100 years, so that's cool. But I don't even really like Socceroos. Like, I, I just prefer Australian national team. I think this is a really <coughs> good change. I think, I, I mean, I've always always thought the Southern Stars did have quite a good um, good good strength of, of brand and, and that sort of thing. But, um, no, you've convinced me. <laughs> I think it makes a really big difference because going into the Cricket World Cup in England, the Women's Cricket World Cup, uh, it's a significant change and a, a fillip for women's cricket again. 
Now, the next headline from the Cricket Week, and this is something I need you to weigh in on, Bardo. This was on cricket.com.au, and this was leading into Australia's crucial game against England in the Champions Trophy. And this is the headline, Star Aussie Batsman Returns Home from England. I was nervous when I read this. I was like, who's gone? So what was your first thought? I was thinking Warner, Smith, Maxwell, someone's done a hammy and they're coming back from England. I, I, I thought, I, yeah, sorry. Go. I was going to say definitely somebody in the top six. <laughs> if you're saying Star Wars, the batsman, I'm thinking somebody in the top six, he's gone. I know the answer because I've read the notes and I didn't actually read it live. But I'm so sceptical these days, I might have actually started to, to see through this and thought, wait a minute. Um, if it's someone significant, you'd put their name. So I would have thought maybe it was um, who's the the least significant batsman in the not in the side at the moment. Stoinis. <laughs> Stoinis, yeah, I would have thought it's Stoinis are kind of an all rounder, but um, yeah. I, I might not have thought that it was at the level that it was though, which is the next level up. So it wasn't any of that. It was Adam Voges is returning home from his well talked about apparently county stint that he's undergoing at the moment. So he'd done an injury. He's pulled out of county cricket. So this is a clear evidence of clickbait going over the line. Now, now, Bardo, you're in digital media. You write headlines all the time. I mean, this is one step too far, isn't it? For, for me, it was. And it's why it caught my eye when, uh, when I was flicking through on, on Facebook. I saw it and, and my first reaction was, Because it's misleading, Who is isn't yes, it? absolutely. And it is a fine line. So I... Um, I do the same thing for for Fox Sports, and um, you know we'll put up you know five, six, seven, eight stories a day with headlines which you're you're intending to give a little bit of information, but not hide the story. Enticing, yeah. The word. Th- that's that's the idea. You're enticing somebody into read your story because if they don't click on it, then there's been no no transactional um, like in the good old days where they buy paper. But what that was was essentially telling the story. And fabricating uh, what the headline was, which I didn't like. Um, it's been it's changed, up. by the way. Now someone's it? oh, had a good. word <laughs> and changed it, but it was up there for long enough. Yeah, and it is it is something which um, which I tend to struggle with because I come from an old school AOP style where uh, the headline is just made basically <laughs> tell the story in eight words, and and that's what you're meant to do. Um, and I'm retraining myself to do this, but uh, I don't think I'll ever go quite as far as that. Yeah, I think it is inevitable that for for media outlets they have to. Pr- engage in a bit of clickbait but I don't think Cricket Australia need to and I think that they shouldn't and even if they're going to do moderate clickbait that we would think was possibly acceptable don't do it big big classy you're making trillions of dollars they're in other ways too reputable for something like you this. don't need you to do it that way yeah. like TMZ or BuzzFeed we want you to be a trustworthy source cut that out and and the punters hate it like if, if, mm. if I get it wrong and I do a story which is a little bit too clickbaity which which happens from time to time the first 10 comments are you know, this don't read this story, it's clickbait, or this is exactly what happens in the story. Whereas if I don't go overboard, there's none of that, and it's more you're more likely to get comments saying, good story, yada, 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 that, along those lines. So hopefully the uh, the punters will retrain us and uh, start clicking on stories, and that will be all we need. And it's self-defeating. I mean, the, the length of time that people would have spent on that story before hitting back would have been, you know, one second, two in- seconds, three seconds. Yeah. Yeah, and I was annoyed, so it's made it into the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Take that, Cricket Australia. Uh, now, Channel 10 have gone into voluntary administration, big news in media in this country, and I guess this podcast is concerned about what this means for cricket in this country, what does this mean for the Big Bash League, uh, what does this mean for our friends Lisa Stalaker and Mark Howard. Uh, Paul, You're not worried we... about what it means for MASH reruns? Well, should we bid for the <laughs> rights to the BBL? But seriously, so this is a huge... 
moment for this to happen because the rights of the Big Bash are going to come up for, for bidding soon and so Channel 10 are effectively be out of the running. Yeah, well, you can't negotiate if you're in... In administration. Yeah, you, that, so they're done, which leaves, what, Channel 9 leaves... Seven. Does it leave seven? Would they... I don't think seven are going Apparently to Apparently their tennis rights run out in a couple of years. Okay. It's, it's their AFL rights that where their, their, their big spend is. I, I think what it's... rights? <laughs> I think it's sad because um, it seems inevitable that's the end of the Big Bash on Channel 10, and it will go down as a, a very short period that was very... But they'll probably finish this summer out. Let, let be clear on this i think mm. the administrators will run this out because there's still a lot of money that they can make over this summer in the big bash yeah well if, it, if this is the last summer it'll be sad because they did do a positive thing for cricket in this country they've got lots of people who were never interested in cricket before enjoying it and they you know they're to be credited for that it's an interesting time in media landscape where i would imagine in 10 15 years it'll all be streaming and it'll all be you know a totally different landscape with the way that the English Premier League is now sold in Australia, that it's on Optus, which would have been unthinkable five or ten years ago. People wouldn't have even understood what that concept was. We're not yet ready, though, for cricket to to get to that level because we're a few years behind a mainstream um, Australian sport doing that. So Cricket Australia is in a situation where they've got a product worth heaps and heaps of money, but maybe no one who's going to actually be able to pay it. And I think it's fair to say the um, the backlash to, to Optus taking, taking over and the product that was uh, delivered is was fairly significant as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, as an occasional fan, I didn't watch a game this year. Yeah. Well, maybe Howie's going to go full-time on his podcast now that the Channel 10's coming to an end. Uh, we'll let, just watch this space, I guess. Yeah. We might see... Who knows where the BBL will be? It might be on Twitter or something. Might come back to Fox Sports. That's... Uh... Well, you'd be shooting for that one, buddy. You might get in the commentary box. (laughs) Now, um, the other headline is, and uh, this is one from the world of cricket, and this is Afghanistan's Rashid Khan destroying the West Indies in an ODI, taking seven for 18, which is the fourth best haul in ODIs. He's only 18, seven for 18, great figures. Uh, When I spoke to Jared Kimber, he nominated Rashid Khan as one of the most exciting um, bowlers to watch in world cricket. And he he bowled Afghanistan to victory over the Windies, which is fantastic for Afghanistan. I mean, Rashid Khan is so good. Could we naturalize him? Do you think we could lure him here with, you know, Bondi Beach and, you know, get him down there? I I do have a little story about this because um, we got one of your regular panelists, Gav Joshi. Um, oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. He was in the IPL uh, over there for the IPL, doing stories for us for for Fox Sports, and must have been really short on reporters. Oh uh, no, we, did, we we just had funds to burn, so we uh, we were chasing him up. But no, he he managed to speak to Rashid Khan and uh, get his thoughts as you do about Australia and whether he'd be interested in playing in the Big Bash or... No, I'm saying playing for Australia. <laughs> well, this, you know, baby, baby steps. How, how many years does it's it take? Three steps. or four years? It's baby steps, you know. We, so we take we take him on board, get him in the Sydney Sixers for a little bit. And uh, and he's he's a big fan of Shane Warne, of course. And maybe Warne could take him under his wing. Maybe four, four or five years down the track, but 25-year-old Rashid Khan. But Kahn. seriously, if you haven't seen him bowl as a fan of cricket... He bowls these quick leg breaks. They are astonishing. And he could bowl Afghanistan to test victories. He alone can take the wickets that they could win a few tests. But it's a joyous thing that Afghanistan uh, are now on the brink of being, um, you know, they they might qualify for the next World Cup at the expense of the West Indies. It's not beyond the, the realms of possibility. And so... Again, 10 years ago, that would have seemed absolutely farcical. Um, so uh, expansion can happen. Well, that was Headlines with Andrew Mensel this week. And now it's time to 
tell you about the Have A Go Your Mug promotion. Now, if you can go onto iTunes and leave a review for the show, you will go in the drawer for a Have A Go Your Mug mug. Bardo, you just got your Have A Go Your Mug mug. Very I've, happy. I've got one in front of me, and uh, even though I'm not a huge tea drinker, I'm very excited to, uh, to go home. You put water in there. It's a high-quality mug. Whiskey. Water or something else. Whiskey, yeah, exactly. very good for whiskey. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, if you can go on and leave a review and then email me, and please tell me what iTunes or what app you've left the review on because I can't see all of them. And if you subscribe to the show on Patreon for $5 a month or more, you get a mug straight away. So there's two ways to get a mug. Uh, now, we got one review this week, a lovely review from Nathan Langtree. So he's the winner of the mug. Paul, can you read this review out to the listeners? Um, he said, Top work, love the Mad Menace feature, an entertaining list each week and good variety of opinions on all things Australian cricket. Especially enjoyed the recent Autumn Series episode with Howie. Well, Nathan, thank you for that review. And, of course, if you want to get in touch with the Australian Cricket Podcast, we're on Oz Cricket Pod. That's A-U-S Cricket Pod at gmail.com. If you want to send any questions in, well, that'll go in the listener mail segment. We're on Facebook as the Australian Cricket Podcast. We're on Twitter at Oz Cricket Pod. And we're now on Instagram at, at Oz Cricket Pod. And we'll be back with the conclusion of the Australian Cricket Podcast. That's it, it's all, it's high, it's miles in the air. Hughes is coming around, and so it's all, it's a wonderful catch! The greatest catch! Oh, unbelievable Stephen Waugh, running backwards, almost colliding with Hughes down there, and the side screen, what a catch! Probably the best outfield catch you've ever seen. You're listening to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm here with Joe Barton from Fox Sports and Paul Dennett from At The Summer Game. And in the break, Bardo's just in, instantly got into the podcast and said, I thought we were going to get England more shit. And we are because <laughs> we didn't touch on the fact that there's all this whinging from England about the state of the pitch after their loss. And there was a lot of talk that it was an un, you know a used wicket and it affected the game. This is just whinging, isn't it? It absolutely is whinging. And if Tom's you, good whinges. But if you look at it, England's had beautiful wickets for the past two and a half years, which they've scored mountains of runs on. I think they've hit 25 times they've scored over 300 since the last World Cup. As soon as the ICC takes over the wickets, they exactly. can't perform. You've got to play on it a second time in Didn't a week. It affect us in the 2015 World Cup, did it, Paul? The ICC oversaw the wickets. That semi-final against Sri Lanka, that it, no, the semi-final against India that Australia played at the SCG, that was a dusty, dry wicket. Suited India more than it suited Australia. I'm going to disagree with you two guys here, and I'm going to hide as I do it, because Menes is not going to like this. I, I tend to agree with England, that I think that in a... Um, a serious game like this, you want an, uh, a wicket that hasn't been played on. And I think that the way that Pakistan bowled was one of the greatest things I've seen in cricket in a long time. They deserve all the credit. They absolutely thrashed England. England obviously deserved to lose. Pakistan 100% deserved to win. But just as a sort of a philosophical point, I think you should have a, a fresh wicket for this game. And I think. I agree on that point. That the spectacle, I make two points here. One, I think it's great that the bowlers had something with, sick of seeing, you know, 380 being chased down. But. The way that it happened with the the batsmen unable to time their shots for me um, probably robbed the spectacle robbed it of robbed the spectacle somewhat. Um, Didn't ruin it for yeah. me. Did you see the second innings? I think Pakistan, Pakistan batted pretty they, well. They, they looked fairly comfortable on the same wicket. Yeah, I was wondering if you're going to make that point, and then my answer to that is actually did go to bed. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, uh, that, by the way... This... So that point, I, 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 I accept that point. I concede that point. <laughs> so uh, England were whinging a lot, though. Now, by the way, the sound we played out of the break was Steve Waugh taking a magic catch at the MCG in 1989 against the West Indies. And, Paul, uh, before we get on to Can't Let It Go, I wanted to talk about with you, and I was at the genesis of this. Now, I remember clearly over the summer during the Big Bash, you started to explain some kind of fielding metric metric that you're coming up with and I pretty much what blanked up after a couple of sentences when it got all too technical and then I said explain it to me like I'm an eight-year-old and I still didn't get it now can you (laughs) explain to the listeners basically you watched every IPL game and came up with a fielding metric could you want to talk the listeners through your IPL project well I'll cut the detailed explanation because I'm afraid that it it is a bit boring but if you want to go to pauldennett.com.au you can read my whole article there if you're interested in this sort of thing. But I've just been frustrated, as a lot of cricket fans are, that there's no proper fielding metric, no wicket-keeping metric either. You often hear Australians say, well, Healy was the best gloveman, Gilchrist was a better batsman, and people debate who they'd want on the side. You can't prove that Healy was a better gloveman than Gilchrist with numbers because the numbers don't exist. And so I thought it would be nice to, if there was actually a number. So I just thought, OK, come up with a concept of what would a standard fieldsman do. And in, as a, an outfielder, I had Michael Slater in mind. Um, just what what would he have done in this situation? And that's what they do in baseball. There's a, a well-known stat called WAR, which is yeah, you know, I wins kind of, above replacement, so they have a baseline. So it's I took it from that, I think, and you know, it's obviously a much clumsier, clunkier version than what they do. But it's just making a judgment call. Is okay. So the ball's been cracked to the fieldsman at gully. He's misfielded it, and they've scampered a single. Well, that's minus one to him. It comes down to how much a wicket is worth. And I contacted Professor Stephen Stern of the Duckworth Lewis Stern Method, who um, very helpfully provided me within about half an hour a detailed list of statistics, which uh, came back that a wicket in in twenty twenty. Let me just point this out, listeners. Paul went straight to the source of Duckworth Lewis. There's no messing around with this. So continue. Get him on speed dial, do you? <laughs> well, I just, I just Googled him and I'm, I sent the email. I thought, I'll never hear that back from that. And I checked my email half an hour later and there's a reply with a, a highly comprehensive, very um, nice reply. Anyway, basically a wicket in T20 cricket on average is only worth about five runs, which sounds far too low. I'll debate that with anyone offline. After you think about it a long time, I think you realise it may well be true. But anyway, cut a long story short. The end of the IPL... The best fieldsman, according to what my stats came up with, was um, Ben Stokes, who was plus 28 runs for the whole tournament. So given they play about 14 games, that's on average plus two. Who was the best Aussie? The best Aussie was David Warner, who was a a few runs below that. The interesting one was the wicketkeepers, that three wicketkeepers were right up there. A couple of the wicketkeepers might have even been higher than Stokes. I was talking about just the best sort of pure fieldsman. But Dhoni, um, uh, Rishabh Pant and... um, Ridham and Saha were all high 20s, touching 30. Every other wicketkeeper in the tournament was negative, indeed sometimes uh, quite considerably negative. And when you compare that, it's probably three or four runs per game between the top keeper and the bottom keeper. So you could make an argument that that may well be one win uh, versus a loss uh, throughout the season. So there are a lot of flaws in the method. Um, the cr- and you could apply this to different forms of cricket. Yeah, you, you could. Yeah, I'm I, doing I it for the Champions Trophy. My first question, will you be doing this for the uh, for the Sheffield Shield? And if so, will we finally get the answer as to who the best clubman in Australia is? Uh, I'd love to do it for the Sheffield Shield. Um, it's, logistically, might be quite difficult. You need ball by ball. If, um, if Cricket Australia want to employ me to do it for the Sheffield Shield, I'd love to. But um, as a passion project, that might be a bridge too far. But yeah, I agree. It would be very nice to, to find out who the best clubman in the country is. It would help Menas in his uh, Bring Back Neville campaign. <laughs> it certainly <I> would. <laughs> Tell me, did you come up with any bad fieldsmen? Is there a worst in this list? 
Yeah, um, uh, not, not surprisingly, Ishant Sharma was right down the bottom. Um, and, Any others? Any um, other really bad fielders? Uh, Any other Aussies? Oh, Marcus Stoinis didn't do um, so well, but he didn't. Not Marcus Stoinis, um, Billy Stanlake. Um, the other one was uh, Tamal Mills from England didn't do all that well either. The, um, the the ones that were poor were kind of as you'd expect. Harbhajan Singh didn't fare all that well either. Kind of the older guys that were, you know. But I think the wicket keepers were, were quite surprising. Naman Oja was quite poor. Dinesh Karthik didn't do so well, which was interesting because I think he did very well with the bat. Um, although I've got such a bizarre memory of the IPL because I watched it. You know, they'd hit a six and I'll oh, ignore that. And, uh, mm. No interest in that. There'd be a massive appeal for LBW and it might have been a controversial one. Well, that wasn't anything to do with fielding. I'll ignore that. And I'd focus on, well, that save at Gully, was that worth one or was that worth zero? So I've got... I've got Fumble in the outfield. Yeah, I've got somewhat of a, a, an idiotic memory of the tournament. Um, but some of the wicket keepers were, were quite interesting in, in terms of the way that they um, the way they fared. Joe, do you think there's a value in something like this for a franchise? You know, the Big Bash franchises in Australia. Do you think... They would want a metric that can measure someone's fielding ability. So if you've got a chance to sign player A or player B, you can look at this metric and say player A might save me 10 more runs this BBL than player B. So player A gets the contract. I, I think there definitely should be a value placed on that because if you look at, as you, I mean, you've pointed out... Um, baseball Paul's PR. Exactly. You've, you've pointed out the baseball, <laughs> the baseball comparison and it's the same. Like Everything is so uh, finitely specific on on how they can analyze players and statistics are so crucial um whereas i think yeah correct in saying that um fielding is the only one really in cricket that has quite a lot of guesswork you'd go david Bourne is a very good outfielder i can't remember him dropping many catches but if you've got a number next to it that uh, makes it far far easier to justify giving him the the extra zero on the contract i think it will be interesting as well as the technology starting to take to that next level where I think in the not-too-distant future, they'll be able to actually say, okay, based on speed off the bat and we've got everything measured, um, the distance that he had to run, he really should have kept them down to, to one then. The fact that he allowed two, um, we will mm. penalise him one for that. At the moment, it's all just an impression and that's, that can be very well wrong. But if they get technology into it and compare it to historical data, it could get quite sophisticated. Well, Paul, it seems like a very worthwhile project. Well done being a cricket tragic, despite the fact that I fogged over when you tried to explain <laughs> it to me. Well done. I'm glad that didn't discourage you. <laughs> now we're going to end this episode of the Australian Cricket Podcast with one of my favourite segments, Can't Let It Go. And uh, I thought, look, I've got a few, so I'm going to get the ball rolling to get a couple going. My first one I can't let go is Hassan Ali's superhero celebration when he takes a wicket for Pakistan. I don't know if the listeners have seen that, this, but when Pakistan, Hassan Ali takes a wicket, he like swishes an imaginary cape around. He, just great bravado, great celebration. When, great bowler as well. Yeah, when you're bowling that well, you can pretty much celebrate however you want, I think. Yeah, I just like the magician's cape. He's, he's got it all going on. I think he watches a lot of NBA or something. Um, the other one that I can't let go of is I saw someone we spoke about before, Gav Joshi, yeah. in the nets at the Oval. One Mel Farrell caught him batting against the Indian media. I'm just like, he should have been actually working, but he was in the nets uh, batting away against the, the media. So how, did, how did he look? Good form. Bad. Good form. And apparently rumours are they couldn't get the bat out of his hand. So... <laughs> Oh, no surprises. If I had an opportunity to bat in the nets in the Oval, I would as well. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, he rates himself as quite the, the technically sound. He thinks about the game in a very technical sense. So I'd like, I would like you to show him the video of him batting and see if he can pick any uh, oh, er- errors few, in his game. Backing away doesn't help. Um, <laughs> now, 
<laughs> to be fair, he didn't have pads on. Now, Joe, what can't you let go of from the week of cricket? Well, it's one thing that I wish I could let go of, but unfortunately it's, a, it's an image which is burnt into my memory uh, at the moment, and that is the newly shaped body of Chris Tremlett, who has gone from... Ex-English fast bowler. Yeah, well, I'm sure some of your listeners might not even be aware that he retired 18 months ago. Um due to, uh, I think, repeated back injuries and that sort of thing. He's had a bit of trouble with his body. But everybody would remember Chris Tremlett as the fairly giant uh, English fast bowler. Uh, what would you say he looks like now? <sighs> the, the giant. Hulk? Andre the giant the or the Hulk, yeah. He's, um, he's, he's probably added about 25 kilos of muscle uh, to quite a large frame already. Uh, he's doing a bit of bodybuilding. He's taken a lot of protein from what I can see and he looks intimate photos there is that is that the image you can't get out of genuinely terrifying images of him in the gym um and I think uh yeah listeners please go onto his Instagram I'm not sure what it is just he can't let go that image punch it into Google and pretty horrifying you will you will understand how terrified I was now Paul what about you what can't you let go of from the week of cricket Oh, just this term that's cropped up it's been the last few years but I've really noticed it this week ICC events that um, in the past, in the not-too-distant past, as you were saying, man, it's, it's, the World Cup was the only thing that mattered. And Australia's won five, the rest of the world won six. We are so far dominant, it's not funny. Then in the Keep last, talking. In the last few years, the World T20s come on board, and, you know, it's been every... Same sometimes it's like there have been about 15 of them a year. Um, and then the ICC Champions Trophy, this sort of meaningless nonsense event that people in Australia weren't aware is on. Like, I have huge cricket fans who still don't even know the concept of the, of the, of the tournament. India won it in 2013, and it's given it a suddenly a legitimate status. And so rather than talking about how many World Cups have been won, everyone's now saying, well, how many ICC events have um, teams won? And I find this ridiculous that Australia, over a 42-year period, has been the best. And through these Johnny-come-lately tournaments, that is getting eroded. And my other frustration is that we've got to accept it's happening. You're so right, Paul. It's happening, and we need to do something about it. And so... You know, next time round, let's take this tournament seriously. Let's bid to host the um, the Champions Trophy for for a change. It's been in Kenya, but it's never been in Australia. We've won it twice, by the way. Yeah. We, we have won it twice. It's not like we've never won it. Historically, There's no sour grapes from Australia. Yeah. Historically, it's a tournament which we never have taken as seriously as, as the World Cup, and we didn't win it until you know. Wado and yeah, but but to contrast your point, Paul, the only thing I would say about the Champions Trophy, and I'm look, I agree with everything you said, is but for a lot of people, when there's meaningless one days all the time, where they're the bilateral series that mean nothing, this is a little bit of a change to that in that you get the best teams together. But yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I, I love the tournament. I think it's a great tournament. I'm, I'm just saying I don't like the fact that it's yeah. been given... You know, it should be 100 points for every um, World Cup you've won and half a point for every World T20 and minus one for every Champions Trophy. Totally agree. <laughs> I like it. Uh, all right, I've got a couple things to end the show on. I can't let it go. Now, the first one is, and we got into this a couple of weeks ago, that Chris Lynn has actually got quite strong political opinions. And this is what he weighed in recently, Chris Lynn, who weighed in last time about Chappelle, Chappelle Corby. This time he said... Shouldn't all high-threat people known to police be dealt with accordingly, prevent rather than cure? Now, I just didn't expect Chris Lynn to be the political type from the Australian team. He seemed very quiet. And Contrast this to the Australian captain when he tweets. This is what he wrote. Great to see the black-eyed peas playing at One Love Manchester. Where is the love is one of my favourite songs of all time. And an amazing performance by at Coldplay at One Love Manchester. Hashtag respect. Big difference there. Chris Lynn taking a very high political attitude. Smith, not so much. 
It's a great tune though. Where is the love? Michael Vaughan's been sort of saying the same sort of thing. Like, I mean, I look. I, I think it's so stage, rare for a sportsman to go out and make statements yeah. like this. That it's that's all. I think it's good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I suppose um, to a ball just outside off stump that is threatening something, I'm going to let it go. He could do like a Clem Hill and go into <laughs> politics, old Chris Lim, when he gives up. Clem but, Hill, that's a a blast. Uh, a very, blast in this a very podcast. current reference. And I'm going to. F- <laughs> And can't let it go because I've got one thing that I just cannot let go. That finally we've had a sex tape controversy in world cricket, and it wasn't Chris Gale or Dwayne Bravo or Darren Bravo, whichever Bravo. It was actually Sanath J. Saria has released a tape of him and apparently someone else's girlfriend. So I just cannot let that go. The, the master blaster from the '96 World Cup is a bit of a master blaster at home as well. <laughs> have, you, have you seen the the tape? Was... I've tried to find it. It's gone now. I've seen still shots of it. Okay. It's pretty funny. It's definitely him. Okay. <laughs> uh, so pause. So that's what I can't let go from the week of cricket. I guess we should wrap the show up. Joe, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I'll, I'll be back anytime you'll have me. Oh, great. That's Love to hear that. Love to get you back again. Um, so, listeners, if you want to read his stuff, foxsports.com.au. Joe Barton and Paul Dennett. Thanks for coming in. Great to be here as always, Minners. Uh, remember, pauldennett.com.au if you want to see the results of his IPL findings. Listeners, thanks again for downloading the show. And we'll be back next week with the Australian Cricket Podcast. Hurrah!